Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ National. Presented by Alison Balance and Veronica Maduna. December the 5th is World Soil Day. And the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization is preparing for the release of the first global report on the quality of our soils. 200 scientists from 60 countries have come together to assess the impacts of erosion, contamination, losses in soil organic carbon and nutrient imbalance. Neil McKenzie, Chief Research Scientist at Australia's CSIRO Agriculture in Canberra, is one of the lead authors, and he tells Veronica that things aren't looking good for our most underappreciated resource. While there is cause for optimism in some regions... The, the overwhelming conclusion from the report is that the majority of the world's soil resources are in only a fair, poor, or very poor condition. And the most significant threats to soil function at the global level remain as soil erosion, uh, the loss of organic carbon in soils, and also imbalances in the nutrient levels within our soils. The general conclusion on the outlook is that the situation is going to worsen unless concerted actions are taken by individuals, the private sector, governments and also international organisations. So we really all need to change our perception of soil because in many ways it's such an underappreciated resource. Yeah, one of the interesting things about soils as a, as a component of our environment is uh, Worldwide, there's probably uh, a smaller proportion of people now directly connected with with soils in their everyday life. Uh, However, we're just as dependent on soils as we are on air or water or other basic environmental services. As a result, people don't have a general understanding of of the, the importance of soils. But more importantly, the things that cause us greatest concern with the condition of our soils are things that are not obvious. Uh, they change very slowly. And so many of the threats to soil function that we've identified in this first assessment are threats that occur on the scale of decades. So problems like erosion, loss of nutrients, the soil becoming more acid, they're all processes that are beyond our normal memory. So they often occur over 10 to 20 to 30 or 40 years. However, they all share a a common quality in that once you know you've got a problem, it's often too late to remedy the problem. So the great challenge for countries is to make sure we've got the monitoring and observing systems in place to give us early warning on where there are signals or things that we need to worry about. Can I ask you something really big picture? Do we have enough soil that's good enough to feed the world? Uh, It's a great question and very difficult to answer. You would think that being able to 
estimate the area of arable land on the planet is straightforward and that it's clearly understood. In actual fact, that's not the case. Uh, we don't have recent surveys or sufficient information on the state of soils to be able to make that assessment. However, at the same time, we know that many systems of land use around the world are running relatively inefficiently. If we look at many of the large irrigation systems established in the 1960s and 70s in Africa, in South Asia, in East Asia, we know that many of those systems are running inefficiently and that they can be fixed. Likewise, there are large areas where there are very significant yield gaps between the current yields and the potential yield for a given location, given the soil type and the climate. So, uh, for example, large parts of uh, Central America, Africa and Eastern Europe are in this category. All those systems uh, with sustainable soil management and sensible interventions can have the production of food dramatically increased. When you look at it in that way, I'm quite confident that the world can in fact feed itself even when the population hits say 11 billion in 2100, which is the, the approximate outlook at, at present. Um, it's feasible. Can we talk about some of the specific challenges perhaps? You've identified 10 categories or threats to soil or factors that change soil quality and you've touched on a few of them earlier, soil erosion and what you call the nutrient balance or imbalance. Could you pick that one up as the first one to explain? There's a global nutrient imbalance. In essence we have areas of the world where we have very high input agriculture uh, so high input meaning high use of fertiliser? Very large amounts of uh, fertilisers in particular. In those systems of North America, Europe, especially parts of China, the rate of nutrient input or fertiliser input has increased dramatically. Uh, there's been about a sevenfold increase in nitrogen fertiliser usage, for example, between 1960 and 2000. Our phosphorus our fertiliser use increased by about two to threefold globally and the amount of irrigation increased by a factor of two. Uh, that dramatic increase in inputs, especially on fertilisers, has meant we have many areas now where there's too much nutrient in the landscape and we have significant offsite impacts on rivers, on coastal zones uh, and we also have a very, very significant greenhouse gas emission component in those systems. In sharp contrast, we have large areas, particularly in Western Eastern Africa, um, parts of Central America and parts of Eastern Europe and Central Asia, where we have the opposite. We don't have enough in, in the way of inputs and the inputs are not affordable. It's a perverse situation. We haven't got it balanced globally and just the, the logistics of getting more fertiliser and nutrients to those areas that are deficient and decreasing its use in those that have too much is, is almost a, a central part of the challenge globally. What about carbon content? Yeah, soil, so organic carbon? There are two or three really high-level recommendations that were made in the, the report. 
Um, the first one we've already touched on, we've got to get a, a rebalance uh, nutrient usage globally. The second one, which is, has many connections to the first, is for countries to achieve at least a stabilisation of loss of organic carbon in soils and hopefully an increase in the, the stocks of carbon in soils. By stabilising and increasing the amount of soil organic matter in soils, we get a lot of benefits for uh, the management of the soil. The soil becomes healthier, you get better crops, there's a whole set of benefits there. But there's also a very significant benefit in terms of mitigation of greenhouse gases. So one of our recommendations is that all countries should work towards a national level of goal of achieving a stable or positive soil organic carbon balance. I'm looking at the different categories here and one that springs out for me is the ceiling of soil and I'm assuming that means that spread of urban areas that we simply build on top of what could be fertile soil but we concrete it over and that's the end of it. Is that what that means? Yes. What happens when a road goes down or a house is built, um, car parks expand, is that progressively the area of soil reduces. The soil underneath those surfaces essentially ceases to function. Now there's a, a direct impact in many parts of the world of urban expansion and increasing infrastructure like bigger freeways, um, railway lines, industrial expansion means that progressively we're covering up quite significant areas of soils. Now globally it probably amounts to a, a reduction in, in agricultural production of in the coming decades a percent or two. So it doesn't seem much but most cities and most towns are located in the centre of areas where there are good soils. So it's that's the best soils that we're covering up, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's why those towns were established. They were originally farming areas on the better soils of any given district. The significant issue is that globally the rate of expansion is significant, particularly in uh, East Asia, in Europe. Um, it, it is remarkably rapid. And many of the areas that have a large rate of urban expansion and ceiling are also the areas that we know have to remain productive in future decades, uh, particularly in Europe where the, the negative impacts of uh, climate change in terms of drier or hotter conditions won't be as severe as in other parts of the world. They're areas that we have to make sure we've got our strategic soils and our strategic land assets are protected and productive basically having a, an, a fairly uncontrolled expansion of, of urban areas under soils is again wasteful and short-sighted but widespread in our region it's significant in both New Zealand and particularly the eastern seaboard of Australia it's also a significant issue for many of our uh, Pacific neighbours the small atoll islands nearly all have this as a basic issue could I ask you about soil erosion because that seems to be globally the main threat or factor. Does it apply to this region as well? I mentioned earlier that there were some regions where there's cause for optimism and I think our region is one of those. In both Australia and New Zealand the rates of soil erosion 
have been reduced significantly compared to the periods of when agriculture was expanding or being established. Both of our countries went through enormous amounts of gully and surface erosion during initial clearing. Australia likewise, even though people probably don't realise it, but the rate of wind erosion, for example, is about six to ten times less than what it was uh, in the 1930s and 1940s, which was a real peak period for um, erosion. In Australia and New Zealand, we've had widespread adoption of conservative forms of land management. So minimum tillage is now the norm in most in industries, and as a result, our rates of erosion have decreased significantly. But in both our countries, we have landscapes and climates where controlling erosion is still a challenge. For Australia, it's very much the tropical and subtropical regions where we have intense rainfall. Uh, in New Zealand, clearly it's the, the hill country and the steeper country where rates of uh, gully erosion and surface erosion are still too high. Uh, we know that in Australia the rate of erosion is many, many times faster than the actual rate of soil formation. So there are parts of the country where uh, we're still a long way from having sustainable land management. What's the answer to all of this in this particular region? How can you regenerate soil? Is it about replanting the areas that are at high risk of erosion? I guess the, the basic principles of sustainable soil management are, are well known at a general level. You know, it's maintaining surface cover, ensuring that um, there's a high level of, of plant growth throughout the season. There's a whole series of measures around minimising the introduction of uh, contaminants or excessive use of herbicides or pesticides. Those things are well known. The, the challenge is actually getting systems that work uh, on different soil types, with different climates, with different challenges in terms of the, it may be pest issues or the types of crops that you can grow. So the, the general principles are known. The challenge is the actual operational implementation at, at the farm level. What would be the next step in that? Is this group, which has now published this assessment, and it's described as a baseline because we don't have anything like it, so this will be, this will be the starting point. Will this group then also be active in trying to feed this information into policy development or into yeah. management practices? The ambition for the Intergovernmental Technical Panel on Soils is that it will remain as a body for the years and decades to come and become the authoritative source uh, for assessments and guidance on how to achieve sustainable soil management. In the immediate term, in my view, the most pressing issue is to solve the information gap. There are just far too many parts of the world where we think there are serious problems, but we need to confirm that. Um, we also need to identify what are the best management systems for those areas of the world. So it's instructive to look at what New Zealand did. If you go back to the 1970s and 80s, there was a, a very strong and capable uh, soil science research community in New Zealand that it did some very progressive and far-reaching things. And one of the really useful things that was done was to establish benchmark sites across the country, monitoring sites. 
And so New Zealand is one of the few countries around the world where land use has intensified, but there's a reasonably good knowledge of what's changing. Australia doesn't have a comparable set of monitoring sites or a, a comparable way of tracking change. And when you think it through, being able to demonstrate that soil management is sustainable and that farming is sustainable, that becomes a fundamental uh, advantage in terms of trade. Uh, it's the, in many ways the competitive advantage of countries in the future if you can demonstrate that food production and food exports are coming from a sustainable system, uh, you can not only uh, charge a premium, but you also have a stable uh, farming system that can endure. So there's some straight um, enlightened self-interest here, but I think New Zealand has been um, almost a, you know, a textbook example of how you can manage soils well, even though there are very significant threats and challenges. That was Neil McKenzie, a soil scientist at CSIRO in Australia and lead author of the Status of the World's Soil Resources Report. That's all for now. For more, check us out on the web. rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Matewa. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.